This is from the Mumankan, <coughs> case 15. Tozan gets 60 blows. The Koan. <coughs> when Tozan came to have an interview with Umon, Umon asked, Where have you been recently? At Sado, Master, Tozan replied. Where did you stay during the last training period? At Hozu F. Kona, replied Tozan. When did you leave there? On the 25th of August, Tozan answered. Umon exclaimed, I give you 60 blows with my stick. The next day, Tozan came back and asked the master, Yesterday you gave me 60 blows with your stick. I do not know where was my fault. Umon cried out, You rice bag! Have you been prowling about like this from Kosei to Conan? At this, Tozan was enlightened. Umon's commentary. If Umon at that time, by giving Tozan the father of the truth, the father of the truth, had awakened him to a vivid, dynamic Zen life, Umon's school would not have declined. In the sea of yes and no, Tozan struggled all through the night. When the day broke and he came to see the master again, Umon helped him break through. Though Tozan was immediately enlightened, he was not bright enough. Let me ask you, should Tozan have been beaten or not? If you say he ought to be beaten, trees and grasses and everything else needs to be beaten. If you say he should not be beaten, then Umman is telling a falsehood. If you can be clear on this point, then you and Tozan will breathe together. Umman's point. A lion trains its cubs this way. If they walk ahead, it kicks them and quickly dodges. Against his will, Tozan had to be struck again. The first arrow only nicked him, but the second went deep. A few days ago, I watched the documentary about three mountain climbers who took on the challenge to climb one of the most difficult mountains in the world. This was an extreme climb that required high level of technical proficiency in different areas of climbing, from ice climbing to multiple day climb on a sheer granite face. While dealing with very low temperatures and unpredictable snowstorms, right, they had to do that while all this was happening, not knowing whether or not they'll come back. And it was fascinating to see the challenges they had to endure during the climb. But what I found most interesting and inspiring was the way in which they coped with these challenges. At some point of the climb, they set up a, a portalage, which is a hanging platform with a tent on top, set up on the cliff, on a sheer face. It was used to sleeping during multiple day climb. Anyway, at that point, 
where they were setting it up, getting comfortable inside, one of the supporting poles snapped and the whole thing collapsed on them. They calmly got out of the tent and while suspending from the rock, improvised a way to fix it, put the structure back together and went back in. And this was just one of many obstacles they had to face and had to work through in the extreme temperatures. And on top of all that, during the first attempt, they got stuck in the portalage for three days due to a snowstorm, ate most of the food they had, and needed to go back and abort the climb. Three years later, they went back and reached the peak. What was clearly conveyed in this documentary is the level of determination which kept them moving forward and not giving in, not giving up. And also the strength of their resiliency which helped them maintain a positive attitude while dealing with extreme challenges, extreme difficulties, very painful difficulties. And I thought about that in relation to our practice because to maintain Zen practice alive day after day, month after month, and year after year requires similar determination and a great deal of resiliency. Luckily for us, circumstances and conditions led us to this practice and we need to appreciate that. We're here and this is amazing by itself. But now that we are on the path, we need to be aware that Bodhicitta, or the desire to awaken, by itself cannot keep us on the path. It's not enough to want to wake up. It's not enough to show up. It is a big part of it. But what do we do when we show up to the practice? And I'm not just talking about showing up here to sit. To show up to the practice is to show up every day, every moment, and face what we need to face. And the question is, how do we face it? Or with what? To sustain the practice and its longevity, we need to couple bodhicitta with determination and resiliency. There are and will be moments we experience doubts about the path, about the practice. In difficult moments, we may experience passing thoughts that say, who are you kidding? You don't have what it takes, and you will never be enlightened. Or maybe you think, this realization business is overrated, takes too much of my precious free time, which I barely have, and this work requires too many sacrifices. And we do experience thoughts like that. Maybe I don't want to do it. Only through determination and perseverance, we can get through such moments or such thoughts and stick with it. Stick with the practice at all costs, no matter what. We stay on track, we stay on path. And if we do that, such moments of doubts will strengthen the practice rather than weaken it. So it's not that it should not happen or we should not have thoughts of doubts. It will happen, it does happen, and the question is, what do we do with the doubts? 
How do we trust or how can we trust when we doubt? Or isn't doubt the opposite of trust? I mean, it would seem that way. If I doubt, I cannot trust. And if I trust, I should never doubt. But it doesn't work this way. We trust and then we face doubts. And we doubt and we go back to trusting. That's realistic. It's the way it is. The only way it works. In our culture, it seems that the main goals of our existence are to make as much money as possible and to be as comfortable as possible. And drown ourselves, on top of that, drown ourselves in entertainment. As if something comes out of there. And I think we all know that these ingredients do not lead to deep satisfaction or connectedness. We know that. We are here because we know that. We know what it leads to. We know what it leads away from. We know that the more we do it, the less connected we feel. The less unified we feel. The lead climber in this documentary, who's also an activist and environmentalist, said, Enlightenment is not found on a soft pillow and a full stomach. It doesn't come easy. It's going to require determination. So good words. And he said that because he knows from his own experiences how rewarding it is to push ourselves beyond the comfort level and how connected we become or in tune we become when we face challenges with resiliency and trust. It is rewarding. But the only way to know it's rewarding is to actually face and work through difficulties. So how do we apply that to our practice? And how do we, we, us, ourselves, deal with difficulties that arise, challenges, resistances? In relation to resolute and ceaseless practice, Dogen wrote, the great way of the Buddhas and ancestors invariably involves unsurpassed, ceaseless practice. This practice rolls on in a cyclic manner without interruption. Not a moment's gap has occurred in their giving rise to the intention to realize Buddhahood. Even when doubting, they were still resolute. Even, in, even when we experience that, we need to still feel or be resolute about being on the path about wanting to awaken. They did not do that all through their training and practice and their experiencing enlightenment and in their realizing nirvana. For the great way of ceaseless practice rolls on just like this. 
As a result, the practice is not done by forcing oneself to do it. And it is not done by being forced to do it by someone else. It is ceaseless practice that is never tainted by forcing. The merits from this ceaseless practice sustain us and sustain others. So we can't wait for others to push us. And we can't push ourselves in that way. We do push ourselves, but not forcefully. With kindness, with compassion, with skill, we have to keep moving. Fall down, get up, keep moving. Fall down, get up, keep moving. That is the practice. And it says, if we wish to grasp that ceaseless, what ceaseless practice is, we should not make a special case out of every new thing that comes along. I think we know what that means. Out of every little thing, every thought that shows up, it says, and says, I don't want to do this, I'd rather do something else. We should not make a big deal out of. Or in other words, we should, we should not believe what we think or go along with what, it, what we feel or the way things feel. Recognize it accept it, acknowledge, and get back to practice. And he says, this is because from the perspective of dependent origination, there is simply ceaseless practice. And ceaseless practice does not come about as a result of depending upon anything. You need to explore this point with diligence and in detail. The ceaseless practice that makes ceaseless practice manifest is nothing other than our own ceaseless practice in the here and now. Right? So all that is what's happening right now, with or without wanting to be here. Because the practice itself is independent of us wanting or not wanting. It's just the way it is. Ceaseless practice is not present here and now because it is something that, that we innately have within ourselves. It is not something that already dwells within us. Its presence in the here and now is beyond the comings and goings of self and beyond the departings and emergings of a self. The phrase here and now does not refer to something that existed prior to ceaseless practice. The here and now refers to ceaseless practice fully manifesting itself in the present. So different words, or many words, to say that it is always already happening. And this is why we need to trust and not be stolen or taken away by our emotions, by our thoughts. We may understand all these words intellectually, but there are still the emotions we experience and then the daily challenges we face. And this is where our resiliency is tested and sharpened. And what is resiliency? I looked it up, that word resiliency, and found some interesting psychological articles about it. One of them says that 
Resilience is that ineffable quality that allows some people to be knocked down by life and come back stronger than ever. Rather than letting failure overcome them and drain their resolve, they find a way to rise from the ashes. Psychologists have identified some of the factors that make someone resilient. Among them are positive attitude, optimism, the ability to regulate emotions, and the ability to see failure as a form of helpful feedback. Even after misfortune, resilient people are blessed with such an outlook that they are able to change course and move on. It's very much like our practice. This is what we practice. Not dwelling. Dwelling nowhere raised the Buddha mind or the body mind. Right? We don't stop. We don't get stuck on this should not happen or this should happen. We look at it. We learn from it. We move on. We let go of the baggage. Traceless. The ability to see failure as a form of helpful feedback rather than see it as a, a way to define myself. It's just the way reality appears and there is something for me to learn from. I can learn from it. Use it skillfully and move on. And then it says, when you have resilience, you harness inner strength that helps you rebound from a setback or challenge, such as a job loss, an illness, a disaster, or the death of a loved one. If you lack resilience, you might dwell on a problem, feel victimized, become overwhelmed, or turn to unhealthy coping mechanisms such as substance abuse. Resilience won't make your problems go away, but resilience can give you an ability to see past them, find enjoyment in, enjoyment in life, and better handle stress. If you aren't resilient as you'd like to be, you can, it says, you can develop skills to become more resilient. So we can't even say, well, I was not blessed by resilience. So therefore, I'm going to give in and give up. No. That will not be practicing correctly. I feel this way will be true. But to take what I feel and work with it can also be true. And then it goes on to speak of adapting to adversity saying that resilience is the ability to roll on with the punches. When stress, adversity to trauma strikes, or adversity to trauma strikes, you still experience anger, grief, and pain, which means there's no need to reject anything. But you are able to keep functioning, both, both physically and psychologically. However, resilience isn't about toughening it out, being stoic or going it alone. In fact, being able to reach out to others for support is a key component to being resilient. Which was really interesting because in this documentary, the way that these three climbers relied on each other was exactly that. 
Each of them knew that they can do anything by themselves, that they need each other. And they helped each other become more resilient, not feeling weak because I need someone's help. Knowing that that's how we cope, that's how we deal with life together. We help each other. It says that far from being delusional or faith-based, having a positive outlook in difficult circumstances is not only an important predictor of resilience, which means how quickly people recover from adversity, it says that it is the most important predictor of it. People who are resilient tend to be more positive and optimistic compared to less resilient folks. They are better able to regulate their emotions, they are able to maintain their optimism through the most trying circumstances. Positive emotions can the researchers concluded, undo the effects of a stressful negative experience or experiences. Again, which means that the way we react to what happens is a lot more important than what happens or what happened. The way we cope or asking the question, now what? As it is a very important question in our practice. A lot have happened up to this point, but what do I do now? That is where the practice occurs. Only here. Says resilient people are good at bouncing back because they are emotionally complex. Emotionally complex. What does that mean? To be emotionally complex. They experience the same level of frustration and anxiety as the less resilient people do which is also important because we think that, well, they don't know what I'm experiencing. You know, that's why they can be strong. Not true. We all experience stress and anger and frustration. How do we cope with those emotions? That's where the, this is where the practice happens. And it says that their psychological and emotional spikes are equally as high the difference is that they just let go of the negativity, worry less, and shift their attention to the positive more quickly. Shift to the positive more quickly. Not dwell. Dwelling nowhere. Move on. Flow. Enter the flow. Again, when you feel stuck, when we feel stuck, we may feel stuck. But the flow is calling. Are you listening? Are you willing to jump back in? Or are you going to use what happened to fortify the sense of self? Which is what we do. It's exactly what we do. We use everything that happens to strengthen the illusion. And then we complain about the illusion. <clears throat> One article said, resilient people also respond to adversity by appealing to a wider range of emotions. Again, 
talk about emotions, not rejecting emotions, but appealing to a wider range of emotions. In another study, for instance, participants were asked to write a short essay about the most important problems they were facing in their lives. While resilient people reported the same amount of anxiety as less resilient people in the essays, they also revealed more happiness, interest, and eagerness toward the problem. For resilient people, high level of positive emotions exist side by side with negative emotions. It's not that there is a need to reject one thing and go towards another. We just need to, to be emotionally complex means to see the whole spectrum of emotions, to see the whole picture and to dwell nowhere. To use the positive emotions, not to dwell on positive emotions. That's not the point. To use those emotions to move ahead, to return to the flow, to not create an image. Positive emotions tend to move us forward. Negative emotions tend to move us back and make us stuck. And in our practice, resiliency is an essential ingredient. It helps us stay on the path when the going gets tough. And it is also at the same time a byproduct of sincere practice. So cultivation, right? When we cultivate this trait, we are also strengthening the practice. And the practice is cultivating that strength by itself. So the practice is, is generating it is generating resiliency. So we may say that the practice sustains itself ceaselessly. That's how we keep going back to the same flowing practice. We sustain it, it sustains us. If we understand the true meaning of the term ceaseless practice, as Dogen says, <clears throat> we can see how seamless it is in everyday life and how vital it can be when dealing with challenges of relationships, raising a family, dealing with work, paying the mortgage, and so on. So maybe the next time we are debating about registering to a Zazenka or a Sashim, we should look again at the meaning of ceaseless practice and its relationship with resiliency. This is how we hone the skill. This is how we get better at it. This is how we get better at life. In the present koan, we encountered Tozan during his first dokustan with Master Unman. Now we need to be aware that before this meeting took place, Tozan went through tremendous difficulties and Christ, and, sorry, and crisscrossed the mountains equipped only with determination and resiliency. And his practice was most likely single-minded and sincere. It was, as an ancient master once said, put on the tip of his nose, so he was never able to lose touch with it. It's the same we, we need to do. We have to put it on the tip of our nose, so we never, ever lose touch or sight of it. And he went through that. He went through difficulties. 
equipped only with that and kept plowing on. So this dialogue seems to be like a harmless initial dialogue with Tozan. Ulman is trying to decipher the depth of his understanding. So the questions seem to make sense, right? He's only asking him, where did you come from? Where have you been? And the answers seem to match that. But the dialogue reveals something much deeper than that. Right? It shows us, it shows Unman, shows Toza. Where are we? In the practice. It also shows us a way to remove the cobwebs and see clearly. And Unman saw that. He saw the sincerity and genuine spirit in Toza. And he also saw that he's very close to being fully right. Like a fruit that's almost ready to fall off the tree. So he gives him a small shove. I give you 60 blows. In another uh, translation, it says, I spare you 60 blows. Which is probably worse. You're not even worth you're not worthy of my stick. It's probably more demeaning, or could be seen more demeaning. So that night, after all the years he spent practicing, traveling, studying with different masters, that night, Tozan were up all night trying to figure out, what have I done wrong? What is my mistake? What is it that I'm not seeing? He asked me questions, I gave him the answers. What's missing? Next morning he went back and asked Uman, what was my mistake? <clears throat> now that tossing and turning over the question and the courage to go back, to face Uman with this question, right? Both actions consistent with determined spirit. Not giving up. He could have just walked away. It's like, well, you know, this doesn't work for me, you know, maybe I should look for another teacher. This guy is just bugging me. He's hitting me. Or he's not hitting me. But he stuck with it. And he looked at it. And he looked at it. And he looked at it. And then the way he came back to Unman was not the same way he showed up the day before. Something changed. And that's what Unman saw. He saw that at that moment, it wouldn't take much. So then he gave him the last blow. You're wise back, good for nothing. Have you been wandering around like this from one place to another? How long will you keep traveling, looking, asking, looking outside, looking elsewhere? At these words, Tozan was deeply enlightened. Now that last line, deeply enlightened, cannot be grasped unless 
we take into account Tozan's years of diligent practice and the many disappointed, disappointments he must have had along the path and the ways he must have bounced back over and over again. Otherwise he would not be there talking to Unmar. He did bounce back. We need to bounce back. Every time you feel doubt, we feel doubt about the practice whether it's about your ability to realize or whether it's thinking that this is not your path. It doesn't matter. Bounce back and practice again and again and again, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. As Dogen says, ceaselessly. Right, to deeply understand the meaning of this koan, we each of us each need to have our own personal experience of determination and resiliency. Right? We need to know what it is to sustain the practice when the going gets tough. Well, all this is just contemplation. All the readings we do, all the listening we do, become intellectualized. It doesn't amount to anything. <sighs> there will be, I can guarantee that there will be times that you will feel like you're going against the grain. And you will want to run away from this. And sometimes what feels right can feel so wrong. And all we want is to do the opposite of what we need to do. This will happen. This does happen. But isn't that what we need to expect? I mean, seriously, do we, should we expect that that thing called ego will just pack up its stuff and walk away without putting up a fight? I mean, how ridiculous is that? We should expect to face such adversities, such difficulties, challenges. Because it will happen. And that's okay. And, 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 and the way we move on, or whether or not we move on, has to be, or has to do with the resiliency. That's where we get better. That's where we sharpen, deepen. You remember Master Zwigan, who used to tell himself every day, every day, be thoroughly awake, do not be deceived by strangers. This is how the stranger manifests in us, in the form of, don't go, it's not worth it, you should be doing something else. Go for a walk, go watch a movie, go hang out with friends. Why do you want to spend time on a cushion? Why do you want to go to a Zazenkai or, or Sashim? And if you listen, you will be deceived by a stranger. And if you don't listen, you will strengthen the master. Or you will strengthen your trust in the master. That's how it happens. That's where it happens. 
remember once somebody who is studying with me said at a point that there was a bit of a loss of trust said worked on it realized that trust is the path and then said how can my own shoe not fit how can my own shoe not fit i mean this is the practice of you this is not zen practice there is no such thing as zen there's no such thing as buddhism christianity whatever those are just words those are words that evoke <coughs> thoughts and emotions but they're just words that have nothing to do with what the practice is we're not buddhists we're just practicing it's all we are and it's important to remind ourselves when we get trapped in thinking that I don't like the way we practice, I don't like a part of the liturgy, I don't like to bow, I don't like to light an incense, I don't like the forms. That is the time to tell yourself, do not be deceived by strangers. This is a stranger speaking. And again, it won't give up so quickly. Expect it and practice it. So we need to welcome challenges because those are the moments we get better. Those are the moments we can break through and move forward. What we feel or think is a trap or an obstacle is actually exactly what we need for spiritual growth. If we work through resiliency, if we opt out to choose the positive over the negative, if we look at the whole range of emotions, not identified with any of them, then it will strengthen us. I think that's enough for today. I think that's all we need to know for the rest of our practice, for the rest of our life. It's all we need to remind ourselves that it's all happening and that we will be faced with challenges and that we have what it takes to move forward. Thank you.